0: Coming up on this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. Food can be transformative in so many ways. It's not just about eating better, it's about changing your life.
1: Welcome to The Doctor's Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman and that's pharmacy with an F, F F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a place for conversations that matter. And today's conversation is with an extraordinary pioneer in the world of food. Uh, and doing something pretty different and thinking about things pretty differently. Her name is Danielle Nuremberg, goes by the name of Danny, and she links together things that often people don't connect the dots to, such as agriculture, the environment, women's equality, economics, social justice, like how do those have anything to do with each other? But she's really been a pioneer in, in helping us think differently about our food, our food system, the way we grow food, who grows the food, the issues all surrounding food, and um, and she created an organization called Food Tank, which is a nonprofit in 2013 to focus on building a global community for safe, healthy, nourished eaters, which sounds like a good idea. And uh, she's <laughs> didn't done many things before that. She spent uh, two years traveling to sixty countries, more than sixty countries across sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, Latin America, meeting with farmers, farmers groups, scientists, researchers, policymakers, government leaders, students, academics and journalists documenting the work that's going on to help alleviate hunger and poverty and protect the environment. Now, a lot of us sit in our you know, table in our kitchen or at our desks and we use Google and the internet to learn everything. You actually did it the old fashioned way. You got <laughs> on the ground in some countries that were tough and rough to be in and asked hard questions, followed people, were curious, and discovered a lot of things that we're going to get into today. She also has authored several major reports and books uh, about global agriculture, and she's been cited in more than 8,000 major print and broadcast outlets around the world. That's impressive, 8,000. She has a master's in agriculture, food, and environment from the Tufts University Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. And I think it's important, nutrition, science, and policy. You know, this is something that there aren't any other schools that do that. No, no. And one of my friends, uh, and probably you know him well, is uh, Dari Mazafarian, who's the dean. uh, And he also gets these issues. She also volunteered for two years in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. So welcome to the doctor's pharmacy.
0: I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So, you know, when you kind of got into this um, in a strange way, you you grew up in Missouri. Yep,
0: Defiance, Missouri.
1: Defiance, Missouri, in a farming community. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh and your your parents weren't farmers, but you grew up around farmers and you got to see um what was going on there. Sure. And you also noticed the plight of the women in that community. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, you know, just to give context, most people don't know. I certainly didn't know that uh a lot of the f- world's food, probably forty-something percent of the food that's produced in the world globally is by women farmers.
0: Absolutely. About forty three percent to be accurate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they actually are better farmers than men, it turns out. They have higher yields, better production, they're more effective, and they do all these other stuff that yeah. is for their family. Yeah. So they have all they have a rough job. And you sort of highlight the plight of women. So what was it about the women in your community in Defines Missouri, that stood <laughs> out to you and, and how did that influence, you know, what you did and what you do and how did it sure. inspire you to create uh, an advocacy group for healthy food system sure.
0: I mean looking back the women and and the community where I grew up in were you know doing the same jobs as their husbands they were you know working the fields and and you know doing all the other stuff that you mentioned they were cooking and cleaning and taking care of kids and you know driving carpool and doing all that other stuff but they weren't recognized for being farmers even though they were really an important part of the whole farming community and you know when when I was a kid, women weren't farmers they they were you know housewives and so Mm -hmm. i think really being able to recognize the value that women all over the united states and all over the world put into actually producing and selling food and how they're often the main operators on a lot of the farms that we see is really Mm -hmm. something we should all recognize
1: yeah and and why did you not want to be one of them
0: Oh, gosh, I couldn't <laughs> wait to get out of Defiance, Missouri. You know, I uh, I, it's funny. I've had this sort of evolution in my life. You know, I, I grew up around farm kids. You know, we did things like play on tractors and, you know, cow tipping was a, a thing that actually happened. And, you know, we I, I just wanted nothing to do with it. I, I was surrounded by corn and soybean fields and I just couldn't wait to get out of there. And um once I became a Peace Corps volunteer, and really- and you were,
1: your neighbor was Monsanto
0: and yeah, Missouri, next was county headquartered. Yeah, yeah, that's where they're headquartered. Um, I just, you know, wanted a different life, and and you know, it was strangely about six years later when I went to Peace Corps after after college. I, you know, ended up working with farmers and riding on the back of you know extension agents' uh, motorcycles and visiting you know beekeeping and and cocoa farms and really just understanding the the connections between farmers and nutrition and protecting the environment. Uh-huh. And it wasn't like I had this oh aha epiphany moment. I was like oh. It kind of was the slow realization that I was kind of dumb for not recognizing the farmers in my community and all that they were giving to not the, only the community, but to the world. And, and so just sort of being able to recognize that now and honor, you know, that place where I grew up and the people who, who made that community what it was.
1: Yeah. So so many people who go to the Peace Corps, you know, have the idealistic view that they're going to go there and save, save those the world, people yeah. and save the world. And, <laughs> yeah. And it often ends up saving them. Oh, absolutely! And, changing, and I'm one of those people. Changing their worldview. What well, what happened down there that, that shifted your worldview and made you understand the connections between women's equality and the environment and social justice and agriculture, the economics, all these things that we don't. Yeah. You didn't even mention health, which also also was absolutely, is in there,
0: absolutely. I mean, it was just listening to folks. It was sitting in a lot of women's kitchens. It was sitting, you know, and and learning from farmers and just sort of hearing them and understanding them and the challenges they faced and, and sort of the obstacles that they were presented to them, but how they were solving them. It was really just inspiring, you know, these mm-hmm. were people who didn't have much, you know. Uh, so much. give us
1: some examples. You were, traveled to 60 countries plus, yeah. you sat down with people in their homes and living yeah. rooms, you, you talked to them, you asked them questions. What What was it that most impacted you? What are the stories you can relate yeah. from some of those meetings that give us some sense of like the texture of that experience for you?
0: So one of the stories that I I, was really my most favorite from traveling to all those countries over the the two years that I spent, you know, just kind of truth seeking and ground truthing on uh, in all these countries is I was um,
1: I love that ground truthing
0: ground truthing. It's a great that's a
1: great term. It's like being on the ground, finding out. Yeah, that's really true. I said, what you read in a magazine Absolutely. or a newspaper or a scientific or a website,
0: journal? Yeah, um, so we were sitting um, with a group of about 50 uh, uh, women farmers in India um, outside mm. of, of Delhi, and they had started this organic farm where they were using like vermiculture, which is using worms to compost. They were using all these different organic agriculture um, methods they were growing food and, and packaging it under their own brand and selling it uh, in in cities they were using um, other women who would sell the food and you know it, food that people could believe in that was sold at a, at a lower price that had this great branding you know women grew it and et cetera but we're sitting with these women learning from them all day long you know eating food with them And, you know, I'd been taking my little notebook around, just interrogating them all day. And so sort of at the end of the day, I closed my notebook and they're like, oh, we have questions for you. And they're like, what are women in other countries doing? Because they know they knew I had been traveling in in sub-Saharan Africa. And they're like, what are women doing to protect trees and protect indigenous species, how are they fighting climate change? And understanding that there's this really an opportunity for farmers, whether they're male or female, to learn from one another in different countries. And often in developing countries, they're way ahead of where the rest of the world is on um, things like climate change and health, especially in mm. protecting water or biodiversity. I think in the United States, we have a lot to learn from those women in India, you know, and, and farmers I've met all over the world about how to pretty, protect resources.
1: Pretty striking to think about women who probably likely haven't gotten much education or schooling. Right,
0: and maybe have never left who, their village.
1: Yeah, who maybe or maybe can't read, but are thinking about biodiversity and climate change and water resources in ways that are quite unusual complex, and complex yeah, and yeah. you know talking about the sustainability and the 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 supply chain to create sustainable food and
0: absolutely uh
1: it's really remarkable and and it, it wouldn't be something we'd expect it's usually sort of a affluent country's sure. issue and everybody else in the developing world is just trying to scrape by and not thinking about these things but it sounds like when you went around the world you found that people cared about these issues absolutely. and the women probably care more than the men because they're by nature more nurturing more thoughtful about future generations more thoughtful about sustainable
0: sustainability
1: for their families and and uh it's it's quite striking
0: they want their kids to to do better than them they're thinking about the future in a way that that all of us are but they're especially it's very sort of urgent to them because they're seeing those the 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 effects of climate change daily the effects of biodiversity loss daily they're seeing it it's very real for them
1: and they're solving the problem there you know a lot
0: of them are yeah they're really working towards things that can help improve biodiversity one of the things that i'm most impressed by is how women are protecting traditional varieties of vegetables and and grains and really you know saving seeds and making sure that they're available for the next season and and for the next generation
1: how do they how do they know even about these things
0: I okay. mean, it's been passed on. It's, you know, all of this, their grandmothers knew how to do it. Their, you know, their grandmothers' grandmothers knew how to do it. A lot of that was lost, you know, during the Green Revolution yeah. when hybrid seed varieties came in and sort of, you know, displaced a lot of those traditional varieties. But women were always the caretakers of seeds. And it's really, you know, they're they're the ones who keep that going uh, and, and and make sure that it's around for their kids. So
1: so Prince Charles wrote a little book book it was really more of a he gave a speech mm-hmm. uh, it was turned into a little book called the future of food mm-hmm. and in it he he challenges the notion that big ag is needed for saving the world from hunger in other words the messaging we hear is yeah we would all be great doing organic agriculture and small farm holding innovations but that's not going to solve our problem Absolutely. of world hunger we have to feed our seven billion people we need industrial agriculture we need genetic modification of seeds we need uh, different hybrid seeds we need to basically do this green revolution which was a massive failure by the way which for those of you who don't know what a green revolution is it was the idea that uh, that we could go into these poor countries help them with their agriculture by innovating with different seed varieties that were drought resistant pest resistant etc GMO products but it was the centralization and monopolization of the seeds that disrupted their normal, processes and their historical agriculture practices which were very effective and it's like we're we're from the west we know better we're going to show right. you poor people who don't know anything what to do right. and that led to uh really the destruction of local economies local farming systems and and even dramatic increases in the rates of suicide among these farmers because right. they can't afford to buy the seed anymore their their soil their farms are depleted they they can right. basically mine the soil instead of replacing the soil, and you end up with this, this horrible cycle that's the consequence of the Green Revolution where where we're actually causing a bigger burden on these small farmholders. And in this lecture, Prince Charles was like, this is a myth that that we actually can feed the world using small farmholders and in fact that's the only way we can do it. Well and I
0: mean it's already happening. Smallholders are feeding most of the world right now. There are 500 million family farmers uh, who are are feeding most of of the world's population right now and so I, I don't Think we should romanticize, you know, smallholder farms. Some of them are—it's very uh, laborious, and yeah. and it can often be, you know, uh, uh, not a way to move forward. It's it's, you know, often yeah. very hard on these folks. But there is a way to do this well, and to support smallholders and and medium, you know, size farmers as well in a way that can, you know, do all the things that we want the food system to do. You know, produce nutritious, safe food, uh, protect the environment. You know give fair wages provide opportunities for youth you know have equality for women etc there's a way to do that and many of these communities are already doing that mm. but as you described some of those green revolution practices really destroyed not only you know the the local economies but you know just the the equality that, that already existed in some of these communities and, and the
1: truth is before that i mean the practices like you said were handed down from the grandmothers and it was all organic it was all sustainable right. it was all biodiverse it right. was just naturally it was
0: organic because it had to be there wasn't you know? anything else right, right right absolutely and i think you know the the green revolution was well-intentioned in many ways but it was never meant to be something that we used forever we were never meant to rely on all of these things as you know the future of food they, they should have been used by like medicine you know in terms of let's get through this really tough period of drought or tough period of of, you know, too many floods and, and restore our, our our indigenous practices afterwards. Unfortunately that didn't happen. But I mm. do think that there's a way to go forward that really combines high technologies, you know, some of the the interesting innovations that are coming out of the big data space or AI or cell phone technologies and combine them with some of these traditional practices that have been in place for centuries. I don't think it can I don't it's think it has to be or, either or. It's
1: not either, of course. So Another question I want to ask you is when you were traveling around these 60 plus countries, what were some of the heartbreak stories you heard about people struggling and what are people facing around the world trying to grow food for yeah. their families and their communities?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things that happened to me sort of personally is um, visiting a, a farmer's cooperative in Niger, which was really impressive. It was run by women again. Um, but when when we were leaving, one of the women was like, take my daughter with you. Mm. And, you know, still thinking about that, you know, this young mother and her young child. And it's, you know, those are the kinds of things I mean, people I I think it's just indicative that people think that, you know, what we have going on in the the Western world is is better than what what they're doing in, in their own communities. And I think what needs to happen is restoring some of that um you know pride and dignity that people have that's been lost because they think you know hybrid seeds are better they think imported food is better or they think you know having your kid grow up in the united states is better i think if we can restore some of the the pride that people have in their own communities that can help empower them and and keep them you know not want them to give their kids away
1: it's terrible i mean it's true i mean even you know the 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 aspiration to be like the west without really understanding yeah. what the west is like and you know in, in many of these developing countries in africa you know fast food is a sign of affluence Absolutely. so you can take your family out to kfc and mcdonald's right it's
0: a treat that's yeah. like
1: going to a five-star restaurant i'll be honest
0: it was a treat for me growing up in defiance missouri that was like you know we, we were a lower you know middle class family and it was a treat if you got to go to wendy's so yeah, yeah.
1: So what, what, did you learn anything else that sort of stuck out in, during those travels? I mean, I learned anyway? every,
0: like, it was such an amazing, we called it our global listening tour because we just went and listened to folks and heard about what they were were doing. And I think that's, you know, something that sort of the development community can learn from. I think mm-hmm. the, the, the usual paradigm is you go into a community, you tell them what they need and how to do it. And, and by listening, you learn, you know, the sort of the opposite of that. You learn what from the people themselves what their 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 challenges are, what their success is, what they might need more help with. But if you go in sort of telling people what to do, it doesn't work as well.
1: Amazing, so I want to get into some of the great work you're doing around highlighting food heroes, which are the people out there who are making a difference, who are transforming sure. our food system, who are adding value in the supply chain who are thinking differently about how do we create a sustainable food yeah. system. But, but before we sort of get into that, I, I would love it if you just from your perspective and your breadth of knowledge and experience, give people a sense of, you know, what's going on in the current food system, what are the big problems and, and what are the things that are really could make a difference?
0: So, I mean, from our perspective, from Food Tank's perspective, you know, the food system, as we see it, it, is broken. And and by broken, I mean, you know, we have a paradox of hunger and obesity. We have more people who are, are overweight or obese in the world than there are that are hungry. Eight
1: hundred million hungry. Eight hundred
0: twenty-one million hungry. Two point one billion, billion. Yeah, yeah who are three, obese?
1: Yeah, a lot of people overweight or obese.
0: Yeah. So, the, from our from our viewpoint, that that's wrong. That mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. And and some of the people who are overweight are also experiencing malnutrition absolutely. because they're not getting the nutrients that they absolutely. need. You know, we're losing biodiversity uh, in the food system at astounding rates. Climate change is more evident and impactful than ever. Uh, agriculture
1: is a big driver. Absolutely. Of
0: that. Agriculture is at least 30 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions and yet doesn't make it into the policy debate or some of the, you know, uh, uh, mitigation ar- around making sure that climate change is, is uh, that we find ways to adapt to it so you know from our perspective there are lots of things that are aren't working in the food system right now and what we need to do is is really focus on on the solutions and finding ways to you know alleviate hunger and obesity make sure that uh, there's uh, more of a focus on nutrient-dense foods. We've been really, really good at filling people up but not nourishing them. Mm. And so making sure that you know, women and, and youth are valued equally in the food system, that their, their contributions are valued, um, and, and making sure that there's a, a diversity of opinions and, and that people's voices are heard in, in different ways.
1: And that's what Food Tank is. It's really a place for voices to be heard.
0: Yeah, we really consider ourselves a platform for the good food movement. And and that means including, um, you know, a lot of different sides of these issues. We try to get, um, you know, very diverse speakers at our food tank summits that we hold every year, which we've had, you know, Monsanto executives on the same stage as food justice advocates. We bring as many different players uh, together, Republicans those and Democrats. How conversations
1: go? <laughs> They've been
0: great. I mean, we we make it a safe space. And I think that's what's been challenging for a lot I mean, of- we you do
1: metal detection at <laughs> no. the door.
0: I mean, we we say no fistfights, but I think because Food Tank's reputation is very non-biased, that we're considered, you know, um, a fair space that you, you'll be treated equally. That you know, we're not looking to demonize anyone. Uh, it, it makes these conversations possible. I, I, I don't think other organizations can do that as well as we can.
1: It's impressive. I mean, because it's the know, only
0: thing I brag about. I <laughs> mean, know? You, you could bring these
1: people together, but you know, I mean, months we have an agenda for sustainable or local um, food system that doesn't monopolize seeds, that
0: Absolutely. has less chemical
1: inputs, that you know, provides more ability to restore and soils it, and water sh- supplies. And Monsanto's not on that agenda. No, they're not. So but- they're not gonna think you're friendly. Are they? they do,
0: though. I mean, we, we've been able to have reasonable conversations with them. And, and though we're coming from very different viewpoints, that's why we try to get corporations in the room or people from different political backgrounds in the room or people who might not look like they're on our side and, and really have those frank discussions.
1: OK, so this is great. So how, how do you, when you get Monsanto or Cargill or Pepsi or whoever on the stage, what, what are you learning from them that you didn't know that informs your listen i'll
0: I'll tell you you know if you'd asked me 15 years ago would i be talking to any company any big food company any big ag or seed company i would have said Hell no. There's no way. There's nothing. I have nothing in common with these people. Yeah, I want twenty-two-year-old
1: girl with a backpack. I nothing Republic. to You're do like, with them.
0: And and so I think what's changed is that they're such big players. There, there's so much private investment in this space, in the food and ag space right now that if we're not talking to them and listening to them and learning their viewpoints, then we're missing a huge opportunity. I think there's a big opportunity for companies to change. Will I ever agree with Monsanto? Probably not.
1: What do they say? Like, what do they, What I mean, yes, we have to work with them and talk to them, but what are they actually saying?
0: They're, like, I mean, what, What's their
1: view of all this? Because it, you know...
0: They think that they're, what they're doing is helping improve the world's food supply. And they don't think that, what we have to understand from them is they don't think that they're bad, right? They're, they think they're trying to do the same thing that I'm advocating for, that you're advocating for. So understanding that we're all kind of coming from the same place, we're doing it in very different ways, and understanding that they're not big bag, you know, bid Big bad ag that they're they're you know just even folks.
1: though they sue farmers who happen absolutely. to get their I mean, organic seeds cross pollinated with Monsanto. There seeds? There have
0: been some really <laughs> I'm not going to ever stick up for Monsanto, so you'll mm. you'll never be able to get me to do that. But I think we have to to start talking to the, these big corporations. Do they acknowledge
1: the issues of climate change? Do they acknowledge the issues of more soil and more deficient? companies are are do they acknowledge
0: that we're deploying yeah, our water absolutely. supplies. I so. mean, I, I can't speak for any company in particular, and uh, but many companies are realizing the impacts of climate change on their bottom line and they they realize that if they're not doing good they're not going to be able to do business yeah it's
1: interesting i i've had the same view as you it was like i would never talk to these people they're just out to mess mess with us and i you know gotten to be in conversations with people from pepsi and nestle at very high levels and and challenge them on these issues sure. and they they say you know we're we're actually working on these problems you know the 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 one of the top guys at pepsi spoke at the usda about sure. how do we create more sustainable regenerative ag they
0: have to and, or they're going they, to go out of business
1: and their supply chains you know are limited so i i mean the guy from nestle said yeah we'd love to have everything organic we're a hundred billion dollar company there isn't the supply chain for that there but
0: they're, they could help improve that if they decided yeah, to. So they the they
1: they seem to be working on it now do i completely um uh, you know view that everything they do is going to be great no, no but but I, I'm curious and I think that's a great place to start absolutely uh, and I think being curious and asking questions and listening, listening to other people's yeah. point of view you know um, there are bad acts but usually they're not bad people doing right them. sometimes I would I would say there are because sure. there are there are mal- there are malicious intents within the system like deliberate targeting of poor minorities by certain food companies you know deliberate tra- subversion of public opinion through you know, huge amounts of money on front groups like Crop Life and Genetic Literacy Project. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of of
0: greenwashing. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been
1: a target of them as well through, you know, various media campaigns and often written by independent
0: journalists who
1: actually work for the Genetic Literacy Project, which is really about educating people about the benefits of GMO. (laughs) Sure, no, it's crazy,
0: like, all the money that goes into that sort of fake news. It's enormous,
1: it's enormous. I mean... I read recently there was there was four companies, uh, big food companies, and that companies has spent half a billion dollars over five years funding front groups, yeah, like Crop Life or Genetic Literacy Project, or American Council on Science and Health. Yeah, that are, you know, seemingly independent nonprofit right, scientists funded groups but, yeah. talking about sustainability, and it's just a smokescreen
0: absolutely and they've co-opted all of our language from the sustainability right. side and so it's very confusing for a lot of you yeah. know farmers or consumers or, or those who are not you know as well educated or aware of, of these front groups you yeah, know I,
1: you know i had an interesting conversation with one of the top guys at nestle and he said yeah you know we were part of the grocery manufacturer of america and uh there was this action that happened where they got a group of big food companies to fund 11 million dollars on an anti-GMO labeling campaign in Washington state. Uh, and it was illegal. It was a violation of campaign finance laws. Washington state sued them. Mm-hmm. They were fined $17 million, the biggest settlement ever in a campaign finance violation. Yeah. And a number of companies after that felt that the grocery manufacturer of America were not serving their interests. That they were, a, and this was quote, they were deliberately trying to obstruct stop or slow any progress in changing anything that would impact yeah. those businesses. So they were trying to subvert anything that was moving things in the right direction, whether it's a soda tax or whether it's GMO labeling or whatever it was, and they withdrew. And Nestle and Denon and Mars and um, Campbell, what was it, uh, Campbell's, or remember it was another company, um, withdrew from yeah. the Grocery Manufacturing yeah. America and started the Sustainable Food Alliance. Now, that sounds great, it's a nice name. <laughs> what are they going to do? I don't know. Is, is, is it just sure. another front group or is it something that's going to actually something? Yeah. I mean, that's, mean always, something? that's
0: always the challenge. Yeah.
1: So, um, so you've had these conversations with, with people all across all sides of the spectrum from the, you know, poor, illiterate farmers in third world countries. Or smarter you know,
0: than anyone else I know. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know,
1: Monsanto executives. And you've, you've gotten a kind of an insight into really what's going on. So what it What are the things that inspire you that are Mm -hmm. happening today? What are the things that, you know, because we can talk about the problems all day long, and I certainly like to talk about the problems and point out what's really going on, but I think we also have to sort of understand that while, while there's enormous forces and money behind trying to keep things as they are, there's also huge initiatives within and without large companies that are trying to sure. change that. So- yeah, there's
0: enormous energy out there. You know, I'm constantly inspired, especially by young people in this movement, especially as I get older. You know, we, we've had the opportunity to work with so many amazing youth leaders. And, and one of my favorite is this young woman, Haley Thomas, who's 17 years old, uh, who really started out, you know, as a 10-year-old. Her, her dad got sick she he had uh, diabetes and she changed her whole family's diet she became a vegan chef now she's Mm. a great spokesperson for the happy organization she's one of my heroes every time i see her i'm inspired by her every time i hear about what does she do um she runs this group for youth empowerment and really helping youth understand not only how to eat better but how to be you know uh more empowered themselves as as youth leaders as advocates for uh, better communities, she's uh, uh, African American and has really been great at helping um, communities who are often underserved understand how to eat better and 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 you know gain access to resources that will help them live healthier lives. So she's just really really inspiring.
1: That's amazing. So tell us more stories.
0: Um, uh, who else do I love? You know, there are scientists who are out there who I feel like are, are often not given a lot of attention or or support, and one of them is a, a researcher at Michigan State University who's a soil uh, scientist, and her name is Sig Snap. And she um, has called for a rainbow revolution uh. instead of a green revolution. She would like to see more diversity on our plates. Um, okay. And along those same lines, Marie Haga, who's the head of the Crop Trust, uh, she is the biggest champion for biodiversity that I know. Um, she Her very first job was uh, growing cabbages on a small farm in Norway, and now she heads the Crop Trust, which is protecting the genetic diversity of, of, of uh, vegetable and fruit and and grain uh varieties for all of us at, at the the seed vault uh in norway so she's just an amazing champion for for all of these things well
1: this is an interesting story so biodiversity is an interesting concept and you know i i believe it or not uh, i'm a doctor but i studied agriculture <laughs> and when i was in college i did a summer course at this place called the Institute for Social Ecology, and we oh, took cool. a, yeah. a course called Biological Agriculture. Mm-hmm. We read all these books, like the Soil, John and Jevons, health, yeah, and, <laughs> and you know by Sir Albert Howard, the uh-huh. father yeah. of and One straw Revolution about no-till farming, and um, and and we learned how to grow food. And we it was the summer, so we actually grew a garden. We did French raised beds. We had inter. We learned about intercropping and yeah. natural pest control, and putting marigolds because the bugs don't like that. Sure. And, you know, and the Native Americans did the same thing with corn beans and squash mm-hmm. grown together. So the squash regenerates would grow, the soil, yeah. Well oh go up the, the 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 corn stalks as a stake and the beans would put nitrogen in the soil that would restore the soil fertility. Sorry. I mean, so the, there's an understanding of this, but I don't think most people understand the concept of biodiversity. And it's both in 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 how we put crops and animals on a farm and also in the seed biodiversity. Absolutely. And and I don't I don't know if people understand so I'm not sure I do. Why is that important? Who cares? Why can't we just have, you know, GMO corn and GMO soy? It's food. Why do we need all this diversity?
0: I mean, it's important for a lot of reasons. One, biodiversity tastes good. You know, we want a variety of, of plants and animals to eat. It, it, it's what makes food, you know, joyous. And, mm. and so that's probably the most important thing for most consumers. The other thing that's really important is depending on monocultures is not smart. in a a sort of a biological way because you you're putting yourself at risk if that crop you know, fails, you you have nothing else to rely on. You want a variety of crops on any farm. That's why monoculture systems require so many inputs because they get attacked by pests. They they take uh, nutrients out of soil. They don't give back. So you keep having to add things. But if you have a, a more diverse farming system, you're already adding all that stuff yourself. It's already protecting itself. It's already providing a lot of nutrients. Nothing has to be added. So it, it's just a, a smarter way to farm.
1: So... so- Farming is 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 one aspect which I think is critically important because there's there's concepts coming out now that I think are really important. It's not just that you use less inputs of fertilizer, which is great, so that's fossil fuel or less pesticides, great, it contaminates our food less. But the soil turns out is the most important part of agriculture. And, and we the, sort the, of ignored it. We and, completely and, and ignored we've it. mined it, and we haven't taken care of it. Yeah, and it's. Really, like, you know, I I often describe functional medicine as sort of like being an organic farmer or a regenerative farmer where you're regenerating the health of the human and creating a soil in which disease can occur. Absolutely. As opposed to regular medicine, which is more like industrial farming, which is highly chemical inputs. So you're putting all these things on the plant. Forget about the plant. Take care of the soil and the plant will be happy. Absolutely. And so the diversity in terms of crop rotation in terms of intercropping of plants in terms of complex ecosystems they're more diverse you know it's yeah like if you're a rainforest if one plant dies well so what you got 400 million other plants but if yeah. you're in a monocrop cornfield if you get a corn beetle or something yeah
0: that's you're it
1: done and if there's a drought you're done and uh and so you're right we have to use all this intensive methods to actually grow food and it's putting us at great risk it's putting us right. at great risk i mean we're we're looking at in 50 years, we're not going to have any soil left at our current rate Absolutely. Of, of farming or my I call it mining.
0: <laughs> it is, it is. Wes Jackson, who was the head of the Land Institute and a real pioneer on yeah. these issues, said we're depleting our soil bank account and not putting anything else I mean, in. It,
1: it it's interesting. It takes um, a thousand years to build three inches right. of topsoil.
0: Right, it's crazy. And,
1: right, and it it takes. 50 years to have depleted it out, one yeah. third of our entire topsoil yeah. in, in this country. And and desertification is exploding across the world because we farm and then we, we don't take care of the soil and then we can't grow food so we graze cows and then we can't graze cows anymore because they destroyed the land and then we graze
0: yeah, it's a sheep cycle. and then
1: we can't graze sheep anymore so we graze goats yeah. and then there's desert. And it's it's and it
0: happens it can it happens almost overnight you know yeah so, I mean, you
1: can Google you know desertification you can look at a map of the planet and you see just huge amounts absolutely. of the planet turned to desert and that's reversible right
0: it is it can be I mean you see all these initiatives like the green belt movement around uh, across sub-Saharan Africa to grow trees and I think that's you know such an interesting thing that farmers in this country have forgotten you know you talked about intercropping before but growing. Uh, food crops along with tree crops is a really uh, great way to restore soils and, and protect biodiversity and keep pests away, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, those kinds of movements around agroforestry are really interesting.
1: So important. So um, one of the things that, that, um, you know, I want to talk about is, is, you know, what has been the challenge globally for the women you talk to around becoming farmers and actually feeding their their communities and their family because you know men get preferential treatment by banks by credit institutions in terms of access to land education uh but you you talk about how um by actually empowering women with better resources with money with education that we could increase yields by 20 30 percent and and i want to know why they do a better job than men growing food and and um, they could lift 150 million people out of hunger. Yeah. That is a radical idea.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great. And that, those statistics are coming from the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And, you know, they've been studying this issue for a long time. You know, you described it very succinctly. Women lack land. They lack access to education. They lack access to almost anything that would help them be better farmers. And men typically get those things. They, and yet
1: and yet, 43% of women,
0: and in some countries,
1: uh, 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 43% of agriculture is... By women yeah,
0: the, yeah absolutely in some countries it's 80 percent of the agricultural labor force is made up of women so they're growing the food that you Despite know communities all these see. obstacles in spite of everything they're still growing food and doing a good job but imagine what, what could happen if they had all those same resources as men did if they had the education if they were treated you know respectfully by banking and financial institutions if they had access to technologies and inputs and all of the things that would help them do their jobs better it could be revolutionary so we ignore women in the food system really at our own peril and if you know and it's not about empowering women it's about women being empowered and empowering themselves right it's also smart
1: business it's smart policy it's just Absolutely.
0: Smart. And I think one of the things when we talk about women in the food system is we have to understand that we also need to educate women and boys and young girls. It's not about just educating women. It's about really finding ways to make sure that men learn how to value and respect women, not only for you know, the money that they can make, but their value inherently as human beings and as wives and mothers and, and daughters and friends. And so I think that's a really uh, important part of this, this education of men and boys.
1: Yeah. It, you know, um, Paul Hawken, who we've had on the podcast, talks about drawdown. How do we draw yeah. down carbon in the environment? And, you know, together, collectively, all the food solutions are the number one solution. But if you sort of repackage it, and so what is another way to sort of see what are the biggest solutions? Mm-hmm. It's really women. Mm-hmm. There's two things. One is educating women mm-hmm. and family planning. Absolutely. And and those two things we think of, how could that have anything to do with climate change or agriculture? But it turns out it it those two things together are the, collectively the biggest yeah. solutions to draw down yeah. carbon in the environment because of the sort of trickle-down effect of what happens when you educate women, you Absolutely. empower them, and you...
0: And it's generational. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the the results are just fantastic. I don't know why it's been so controversial. I don't know why we don't do more of it.
1: Now I want to segue into solutions. Um we heard about some of the food heroes and I encourage people to go to the, the website you have foodtank.com,
0: .com, foodtank.com. Mm-hmm.
1: and there's a section there about food heroes which is where I spent a lot of time kind of browsing around because I was like despite all this oh, pressing yeah. news of you know the big bad ugly food industry sure. and ag industry there are pockets of hope absolutely. over but and I'm
0: depressed I go there too <laughs> yeah and
1: and there and, and yet and yet there are other amazing things happening. Uh, we have a food as medicine caucus in Congress. We have uh, initiatives around food prescriptions mm-hmm. and medically tailored meals. We uh-huh. have food pharmacies popping up. We have uh, groups in in uh, Congress that are um, thinking about these issues. Congress people like uh, she- Shelly Pingree and mm-hmm. Tim Ryan, and even guys like Cory Booker are interested Absolutely. in the food and food system. Uh, we have.
0: AOC, she's very interested in food.
1: AOC and Earl Blumenauer, who's an Oregon Democrat, who's written a sort of a recommendation of how to reform our food. uh, We call it a farm bill, but it's actually the food bill. It should be a food bill, It's probably the single biggest impediment to changing health and agriculture in America and around the world. It is is, uh, massive, it's complicated, and it's uh, just full of special interests. And it's really unfortunate um, that we have that because it—it—it something doesn't seem sexy and exciting like taxes. But nobody's (laughs) up there on CNN or Fox News talking about the farm bill. But it actually is probably the most important bill. It's a trillion dollar bill. Yeah, Uh, it's uh, 75% of it is food stamps or SNAP, and the rest has to do with our growing of food or other food programs. And it's um, it it it's when you kind of look at that it's just kind of depressing, but there are these pockets of hope. And Absolutely. you, you are, are are working on Capitol Hill and working with policymakers. What are the initiatives that you see happening? What are you excited about? What are you trying to do to change the conversation?
0: Well, I mean, one of the things that we'll be doing this year is uh, having these inaugural events on, on Capitol Hill with policymakers and their staff and really Creating a space that doesn't exist to have conversations that are bipartisan around food and agriculture, everybody be, eats, right? Whether everybody you're red eats. Their their v- <laughs> their voters all no. eat too, and so and their supporters eat. So I think having really some. Uh, conversations around things that are naturally bipartisan, food loss and food waste. Nobody wants to waste food. It wastes money. Youth in agriculture. Everyone wants to see young people involved in what agriculture. the average age way. of
1: farmers 60 something? It's
0: 58.3 years old. Yeah. And, and, and it's growing. Getting older. Yeah, and that's pretty much all over the world. And in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's the same. So we really need to invest in not just young farmers, but young researchers and scientists, advocates and policymakers who are interested in food so that the next, you know, generation of decision makers, knows how to, you know, grow food sustainably, what 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 food can be, if food is medicine, all of the things that we all care about. So having those conversations with staffers and members of Congress, we really think is important so that they feel educated, that they can go back to their districts and talk about these things in, in a really comprehensive way where they feel, you know, uh, that their voters can understand.
1: And, and and are they interested? Are they going to sit with you?
0: Yeah. I mean, we've had some great interest uh, from both Republicans and Democrats. So I'm, I'm really excited about having these conversations. I think it'll be a great... I mean, you know, their lunching conversations, we'll be eating, we'll be talking. It'll be, you know, we'll have fantastic speakers. So I think it's a hope great we way... we to...
1: food that represents the issues you're talking We about. hope to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll see what the congressional I've, caterer I've can I've do. I've been in the <laughs> Congress and, and You know,
1: the food system situation there is brightening, you know, what they eat.
0: But Nancy Pelosi in power, I feel like we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's okay. So, um,
1: what are the kinds of things you're hoping to impact through these meetings? If if you're going to go there and you're going to be an advocate, you're a nonprofit, you're in a sense an antidote to the, you know, multi-billion-dollar yeah. food lobby. Um, what what are you hoping to? I mean, as the it's, agenda for change.
0: We're, we're not a lobbying organization. It's really to create this safe space for education and and awareness because well, these, but, these but, are but not... In a, in a
1: sense, you're not officially a lobbyist organization, but in a sense, you are providing We're an, advocates an yeah. advocacy voice that is not present right now because nobody's paying for it
0: no and and i think that's the the thing we need more of these conversations they they need to be happening more among congressional staffers and and members and and making sure that they know about these issues and that's the thing they don't ex- these conversations don't exist right now it, it, it's surprising to me that you know be, as you said everybody eats but congress isn't talking about these issues
1: yeah no I, you know this is i'm working on another book called food fix how do we save our <laughs> health our economy our communities and our environment um one bite at a time and it's it's about you know the intersection between all these disparate problems that we think are separate and they actually are all connected back to food whether it's the the poor performance of our kids Mm and academics around the world we're like 30 something in math and reading we have massive amounts of of, of kids struggling with learning difficulties, mood disorders, uh, obesity, which affects their capacity to learn and succeed in life. It's burdening our population where one in two people uh, have chronic disease and 40% have more than one. And in fact, it's mostly driven by our food that we're Absolutely. eating, our ultra-processed food. We have the burden on our economy. We're one in three Medicare dollars on diabetes. Uh, 86% of our expenditures are on chronic disease, mostly prevented through diet mm-hmm. and lifestyle. We have in, uh, huge amounts of social injustice, and poverty, and, and and depression, and mood disorders, and and behavior disorders, violence, suicide, homicide, which are complex issues, but often they're related to the food we're yeah, eating. Yeah. We see national security problems where we can't find enough healthy recruits to join the military Just because crazy, they're right? overweight, 70% get rejected. And we're seeing the role of uh, ag and food and climate change. Uh, in environmental degradation, so these are not these are not different problems, no, and, they're and nobody all back is to one thing. connecting the dots. And I haven't heard a politician really explain this. Well, I mean, that's- uh, and I.
0: That's part of the reason we wanted to do this, because during every presidential campaign, no one brings up food. No one talks mm-hmm. about farmers or agriculture or what's on their plate. Mm-hmm. And and we really want to change that. We want to make sure that every candidate from, you know, from presidential candidates to, you know, your local uh, board uh, school board. Uh, candidate they should be ta- all talking about food if they are you know school boards are a great way to change the food system very locally through procurement you know I, I think we can make a lot of different uh, impacts if we're if we're talking to to, to, to decision makers in a way that, yeah. that you know gets them excited about food yeah. and as a job creator too I mean if, if we're investing in the food system that's going to create jobs
1: well, let me ask you this you know we we have uh, in this country in 1900 50 uh, percent of Americans worked and lived on a farm. Sure. Now it's I think less than two percent. And and it seems like uh you know really challenging world to get into for, for young people. And as our farmers are aging, how do we um how do we inspire a new generation to yeah. actually start to do this? Because you know, uh, we need to do it. And Absolutely. we need to see this becoming sexy and fun. We we're seeing the advent of urban agriculture of you know, really, food grown in factories. Mm-hmm. You're talking about creating, for example, uh, in every Whole Foods, a farm underneath in the basement, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and and having factory to farm, factory to table food, sure. which which sounds weird, but it actually it cuts out all the supply chain issues, sure. the the perishables, the food waste. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. What what would you do if you if you could be in charge to actually change that and get people more into this? Uh, sure
0: i mean one of the things i'm so excited about is that you know since i was in graduate school there's this whole generation of young people who who want to be in farming and the food system in some way so you, you mentioned the challenges they face it's really hard for new farmers or young farmers to get into farming, they lack access to land. They have they're coming burdened with a lot of student loan debt. They don't have things like insurance. If we can create you know policies and programs that help mentor those young farmers, give them business skills, forgive some of their debt, help provide them with you know insurance, and and give them the resources they can to succeed, um, I think that would be really exciting. There have been some wins by the National Young Farmers Coalition in states like Minnesota where land. And is is being um, transferred from farmers who you know want to retire to to younger farmers uh, so that they can start on the right foot and get the mentoring and business and education, business skills and education that they need to do better. And I think, you know, this is not just about creating more farmers. This is about creating businesses and and uh, programs that will support young people and, and make them feel really excited about agriculture. Because as you mentioned, it, it seems like a, a very drudgerous thing to do. Nobody wants who, who wants to work on a farm, right? But you you want to create those opportunities. So my son's,
1: uh, my I mean, my daughter's uh, boyfriend wants to get a build a regenerative ranch and create an agroecological system. Nice. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna help him and move there. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and uh, you know, we 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 don't incentivize that. You know, you have you literally have millions, maybe billions of dollars in the farm bill that are used for crop insurance, right. which basically means that if a crop fails, the farmer gets paid. Right. Which incentivizes farmers to plant crops they know will fail. So they'll literally plant them in ditches, they'll plant sure. them in you know, soil that can't support them, they'll just literally throw seeds on there, and then they'll collect millions of dollars. And what's frightening is that most of the recipients of these subsidies, which are called crop insurance, are big, massive farmers right, right. that are getting millions of dollars in subsidies. That they're
0: essentially corporations. They're you are corporations
1: know? that are getting these huge breaks and allowing us to.
0: Yeah, uh, but produce. imagine if that money was invested in young people, or you know, reinvigorating rural economies, yeah. and and getting broadband to to farmers, and making you know these rural areas really intellectually stimulating, fun places to live, so that young people don't want to leave.
1: Right, and it's why, for example. Corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, is in everything because our government pays for it to be grown, and it's super cheap, and it undercuts the price of regular sure. sugar. So we have tariffs on sugar coming from other countries. We support our farmers and paying for this, um, producing this food. Yeah, yeah. And I once asked the vice chairman at Pepsi, you know, why they use high fructose corn syrup. He goes, "Well, Mark, the government makes it too cheap for us not to do it. Right. So it's a, just a good business decision, right? Right."
0: right. I mean, a lot of this would be solved, but I think by campaign finance reform and getting you know the subsidies out of of agriculture. But that's a bigger is, <laughs> is there is there hope for the
1: farm bill? Like, is this is this just a pipe dream? I mean,
0: I mean, every five years I feel hopeful, and every five years I'm kind of disappointed. There were some wins. There were you know a few wins here and there in this last one. So I I think there's always an opportunity. I think you know we need to think about the farm bill very differently. As you mentioned, it should be a food bill. Um, it should be a people's bill, and it, it's none of those things right now. So I mm. think, you know, uh, it's a very contentious political time, but also a very exciting one with sort of a, a you know, a new Congress, new new fresh faces on the Hill. I think mm. there's an opportunity, uh, you know, over the next few years to make sure that the, the farm or food mm. bill is, is something that we can all believe in and yeah. use and, and something that will help us. But you know, I think it takes a while.
1: It's great. I mean, I, I watched on your site, uh, Earl Blumenauer, who's a Democrat from Oregon, very interested in reforming the Farm Bill and sort of wrote up a different set of policies right. that could be implemented that could make a big difference. Yeah. And you can watch that video on on FoodTank.com, but you can also go to our Doc. I mean, to a, uh, Earl Blumenauer's congressional site yeah. and you click around. You can find the Farm, the Food and Farm Act that yes, he called it. yeah. That that he wrote. Uh, there's a summary of it. There's a detailed, multiple-page yeah. uh, policy. Uh, recommendations and and it's it's if everybody who's listening and everybody told their friends and family to call their congressman write to their congressman tell them about their
0: congresswoman
1: congresswoman yeah well yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) we have this legacy language (laughs) now that what huge amounts of women are in Congress Um, are are interested in these issues and uh and and they will care if their constituents care
0: that's the thing Um, and it is those phone calls it's not petitions it's phone calls and actual letters to congressional members that really make the difference so i I think a lot of people think if they sign a petition it gets to congress that's not always the case
1: well sometimes it does right
0: i i i think it's the the phone call they they track the phone phone calls and and the actual letters that come in emails too but like they like letters
1: so so, but you can't submit a comment on the website of your. That congressman? doesn't
0: work as well. It's, really? it's better physical to, It's better to have a phone call and give them your. I don't your remember
1: just... the last time I bought a stamp. <laughs> 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 I don't even have an envelope in my house.
0: So it's, yeah, so it's true.
1: But I, you know, sometimes I get these. This is where I,
0: old school it's tactics. It's true, come you know, in. when I get a handwritten
1: note, I got a handwritten note from a congressman the other day. I was like, wow, this this was like two sentences. No, it was yeah. really sweet, and I'm like. Wow, that, like, that's really like way better than an email. It is, it's you know?
0: impactful. It's
1: like, yes, I have it on my desk. Right, you'll <laughs> save it, yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. Um, so you wrote this book a uh, while back called Nourished Planet, Sustainability in the Global Food System. And it was a sort of anthology of essays from food experts and activists and advocates from around the world. And it talked about how do we create a more economically viable, environmentally sustainable, and socially just food and ag system around the world? Can you tell us about the book and sure. what, what some of the learnings were? Absolutely. You had some great people there, like Vandana Shiva, yeah. and others who are real activists.
0: So we worked with the Burroughs Center for Food and Nutrition Foundation on this book, and um, it's it's divided into four sections food for all food for sustainability food for culture and food for health and really looking at uh, different you know aspects of all of those things um you know the mediterranean diet and how that's been such a culturally appropriate way to feed so many different kinds of 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 communities and 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 maintain the health and and vigor of the environment as well it talks about things like the double pyramid which is a way of looking at food and environmental sustainability in a really comprehensive way it takes sort of of a traditional food pyramid with all the different food groups and and puts it up against sort of the environmental factors of each of those those food groups and you know the the foods at the base of the pyramid that that are grains and and whole and unprocessed foods have a a less of an impact on the environment than those sort of at the top like sugar meat and and, and dairy Mm -hmm. um we included a number of experts you mentioned vandana shiva um one of the the researchers i mentioned before sig snap we included a lot of different voices and youth um one of my my hero is Francis Moore LePay is quoted in the book die she's really new die for, a small, for yeah, a small planet yeah which is how I as a teenager got involved in all of these issues so it's a it's just a really hopeful and inspiring way with a lot of data and scientific um uh sources to really convince people that there is a way to to eat that's you know good for you and good for the planet
1: mm, so great it's so important to have this voice out there um what do you think our biggest Challenges in America today Ooh. to deal with this problem.
0: I think it's it's um the it's not empathy. It's the inability for for folks, regular people. I you know I think of the community I grew up in to 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 see that there's a different way, a different way to produce food, a different way to consume it. I think people are sort of um uh, feel a little stuck or trapped in in the in the current environment um, mm-hmm. because of of lack of of resources there's a real issue of of uh not only lack of access to food but being able to afford it and and we talk about access a lot like oh well if only there was a grocery store in this community then then things would be better but that's not the case i I think you have to make sure that people can afford healthy diverse Mm -hmm. safe and nutritious food and that's just not the case here yet
1: and it's expensive because
0: because healthy food is more expensive than than crap unfortunately it's it's uh you know um unpro- very processed high fat foods tend to be mm. th- tend to be cheaper because of the things that we mentioned before the subsidies that go into
1: there there is truth to that you know uh calories can be really cheap yeah and as i said if before if you look at the cost per nutrient whole foods are much cheaper absolutely <laughs> and, but you know and and what's fascinating is i i just haven't read it yet i bookmarked it, uh, which is a scientific paper that comes through my science feed of articles. And it was about how eating healthy isn't necessarily more expensive. And that when you have the right knowledge, the skills and the tools, you can do it. And I'm on the board of the Environmental Working Group and there's a guide called Good Food on a Tight Budget on how to eat well for you, for the planet and your wallet. Mm -hmm. Um, You see, you know, Mark Bittman wrote a great article in the New York Times years ago showing how it was cheaper to feed your family a roast chicken, a salad, and a baked potato, then going out to eat at McDonald's.
0: I want to counter that a little, and I, I love Mark Bittman, and I love the Environmental Working Group. I think it's easy for a lot of us who come from privileged backgrounds and have working kitchens with you know pots and pans and working stoves and refrigerators and microwaves and everything else to say, "Oh, here's how you do it." And if you have, if you're, I don't have to take a bus to my three jobs and get back in time to cook dinner. Often, for a lot of people, it's easier to pick something up that's very cheap. It gets the, their kids fed. Because they're very busy and they ha- they don't have all the things that the rest of us have, and and I, I just think that's you know we can all say like eat more lentils, eat more unprocessed foods, but if you don't have the skills right. and or the, or the tools, necessary, right. yeah, then yeah. that 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 you know that's not going to make Absolutely. sense for
1: you. No, I saw that I was part of a movie called Fed Up a few right. years ago, and you know I had a very you know, eye-opening experience where I went down to this small town in Easley, South Carolina, um, and it was one of the worst food deserts in America. Sure. It was, it was uh, based on a, a, an index. It's called the Retail uh, Food Environment Index, uh, which rates how many Whole Foods, you know, grocery stores, produce stores there are compared to fast food and convenience stores and fast food restaurants. And there was 10 to 1. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were very poor. This family lived in a trailer, family of five. They had um, disability and um, basically food stamps. Sure. Uh, They lived on $1,000 a month for food for a family of five. Uh, Half of that was spent going out to places like Denny's. The other half was spent on processed and junk food. Yeah. They were desperate to be healthy. They were all very overweight. The father was 42 years old, already had diabetes, already had his kidneys fail and was on dialysis. Yeah. He had to lose 40 pounds or he couldn't get a new kidney. The mother was morbidly obese or severely Mm -hmm. obese. The son was almost diabetic and he was 15 and you know very very obese yeah. um and uh, he actually ended up ballooning up to 328 pounds um and I went into their kitchen and I said look here's what you're eating you know and they go well, I thought this was good cool whip says it's got zero trans fats in it yeah. and it's no low calorie and I thought this was good and I'm like no it's all trans fat it's all high fructose corn syrup but it's just mostly air so they say it has zero trans fats because the government let the food industry say that yeah. because of a loophole that allowed them to do this. And I just went through everything and they're like, well we didn't know. We didn't know. And I'm like, let's cook a meal. So we bought ingredients from the good food on a tight budget. You know, nice. we made uh turkey chili. Uh we made a salad of like not iceberg lettuce, but greens and mm-hmm. carrots mm-hmm. and tomatoes, cucumbers, uh fresh olive oil and vinegar, not dressing which was refined soybean oil and high fructose corn syrup and gums and thickeners and who knows what else we baked some sweet potatoes we roasted them put some herbs on them and roasted them in the oven uh we stir fried some asparagus and i showed them how to peel an onion how to peel cut, garlic how to stir fry how to roast how to do sort of a simple salad dressing these are just simple skills they're not you know, they're not rocket science. No, yeah. They just don't have them. They didn't have a cutting board. We literally were cutting sweet potatoes, raw sweet potatoes with a butter knife.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, because these are the challenges. A- yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, so they were, but they were very interested in, in in doing the right thing. And so I showed them how, and within the first week uh, I sent them, I went to home and I immediately went to Amazon and I ordered them cutting boards and knives because they didn't have cutting yeah. boards or knives. And and then I I gave them a cookbook that was you know a simple recipe. I gave them the guide on how to eat well for less, and they lost in the first I think week together like twenty pounds, and Uh-oh. then uh, they lost uh, two hundred pounds in the first year. The son gained a bunch back as he went to work at Bojangles because it was the only place uh. for teenagers to work down there. Yeah, because it was like putting an alcoholic to work in a bar. Sure, and. And then he finally figured it out and he lost 120, 38 oh pounds, gosh. I think. Wow. And he just wrote me a little while ago asking for a letter of recommendation for medical school, oh which I, I wrote him. That's
0: amazing. Yeah.
1: And and <laughs> you know and so and this is a extremely poor family but in a in a food desert without any education, sure. who literally figured out how to actually take them and transformed
0: out of, their lives. Yeah. It's and amazing. It, and, it, and
1: so, you know, it, it it's it's partly knowledge it's partly skills training it's partly understanding what and how to do it yeah and and um you know i i i, I we recently gave a a cooking class uh in one of the areas in Cleveland in the, one of the poor areas yeah. mostly african american um and we did a cooking demonstration by two doctors in the hospital and we thought i don't know who would show up 300 women showed up sure desperate to know how to make kale and yeah. they don't know what to do with an avocado. They don't never yeah. heard of a smoothie before. They sure. don't, you know, it's like, and, and it was so unbelievable yeah. that how hungry they were. And so I often, you know, push up against the, the notion that, Oh, people just, don't care. They just want to be fat. They don't. No, really I believe want people be care.
0: I just don't think they always have the resources to do it. And yeah. you know, you reminded me of another food hero that's on our website. It was is, uh, Tony Hillary from a, a project called Harlem Grown, mm-hmm. and he went into you know this neighborhood in Harlem and tried to tell people how to eat better. And then when he understood their challenges, that some of them are homeless, yeah, and they don't have you know the access to all of the things that you know a lot of us have. And understanding that and then working with them to, you know, uh, transform their diets, to learn how to grow food, to learn how to, to, you know, gain the leadership skills so that they can get jobs and get out of homelessness, those, you know, food can be transformative in so many ways. It's not just about eating better. It's about changing your life.
1: Yeah. I I, know you think about the level of of poverty and disenfranchisement and um, homelessness and, you know, the New Deal. whether you're Democrat or Republican, it, it sort of saved us from the ravages of depression in the sure. 30s under Roosevelt. And, you know, one of the things he did was create um, a workforce that employed unemployed people to do good right, works. Right. At, you know, the Conservation Corps and other groups that actually did amazing stuff for America Absolutely. and built bridges and trails and infrastructure yeah. projects and paid them um, to actually do this. Almost like it was so, so what what would America be like if we could actually provide those jobs to revive agriculture, to revive Absolutely. local food systems, to create urban systems of food? I mean, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, and uh, it's in urban Atlanta, and right next to the church, there's gotta be an acre or two, it's huge, farm, literally yeah. a farm yeah. in the city, it's run by the church and the local community. Right. And they come in and they get their hands dirty. They eat the food. They grow the food. They connect it to food. It changes They their give health. it away. Yeah, I There's mean, it's a, amazing. It builds community connection. So, I mean, I that that's a project I don't know if... if if uh, government's willing to do, but it would be an amazing initiative,
0: yeah, and it, all this reclaiming of land in urban areas by, you know, mostly African American communities is so inspiring because they're taking back the food system. they're They're, you know having these urban farms. They're building the community that you mentioned. They're building the leadership skills among youth. They're getting them away from, you know, drugs and gangs and showing them that there's a different way of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you change things. And okay. if there was government support, if it wasn't just churches and communities right, themselves, right. it would be amazing. I
1: mean, think about it, yeah. You know what if we just did a you know 1% tax on the food system and all right. that money went you know into that it would be it would be transformational so what 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 can we do as individual citizens to impact this problem and and do something cuz you know it's it's sometimes it's disheartening to listen to the challenges but what can we do as individuals? Because I think we make a big difference.
0: I mean, I think your listeners are doing a lot. They're already listening to you. They're understanding these challenges. They're educating themselves. It's, it's you know, eating better yourself. I mentioned having a sort of more diverse diet. You know, it's looking for the foods that are a little bit unusual. It's going to farmers markets. It's it's a lot of making sure that your plate is colorful. It's, mm-hmm. it's supporting organizations you believe in. It's volunteering. I mean, I think we all sort of get depressed about these issues, but go... You know, devote your time, devote your money to causes you believe in, go work with kids, go work Mm -hmm. with, you know. Uh, uh, teachers and 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 see what they they need help in. Don't you know sort of push yourself on them, but ask you know people in your community what they need help with and and do it. One of the organizations that I really love is is the Food Recovery Network because it's run by students across the country at their universities and colleges, and they're you know finding ways to reclaim food that would otherwise be wasted from their catering services on campus and donating it to communities in need or yeah. donating it to organizations. So I think when people are mobilized, through through organizations like that, they feel good about themselves and they're mm-hmm. doing good.
1: That's great. That's great. So if you were in charge of the world for a day, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you could and you could like a queen, queen or, Danny, yeah, yeah, or an empress, uh, change things that would make a difference, whether it's policy, law. What, what would you What would you sort of list as your biggest? biggest initiatives?
0: I would make sure that farmers are as valued as people like you as doctors. I would want farmers to be valued as much as we we value our medical community. That would be sort of my dream because I think once we recognize the value that farmers have on our lives, we we would change how we feel. I think there's this misconception that farmers are not very smart, that you know they're destroying the environment, that they're doing all these things that are wrong. I'd want doctors to, I'm sorry, I'd want uh, farmers to be as revered as they're doctors not the are. not bad
1: guys. So, so Danny, people listening might be inspired by what you're saying and want to get involved, but not know where to go. So, tell us about an amazing project you're working on that helps people plug into places to volunteer to be part of the solution.
0: Yeah, one of the the things we're most proud of is this partnership with the James Beard Foundation on the Good Food Org Guide, and it's a compilation of of the best and and most innovative organizations in every state and around the country that are doing great work. People can plug in uh, to the the guide on our website, find an organization they want to volunteer with and do it almost immediately. Our latest edition was uh, downloaded about 20,000 times. So Me people either. are really using it. It's a great resource. We're so proud of, of working with James Beer. They're such a phenomenal organization. So how
1: do they find is it? What's the URL for the it's website? It's on our
0: website. It's just the the goodfoodguide.org good on our website, uh, but it's at foodtank.com.
1: So goodfoodguide.org?
0: If they go to foodtank.com and, and it, it's on our website. On our, uh, so go website. to
1: foodtank.com and look yes. for, okay.
0: The Good Food Org Guide, yes. Got
1: it. So if you love what you're hearing and you're inspired and you want to learn more about Danny Nierenberg's work and what's happening in the Food Tank, you got to check out our new podcast, which is Food Talk with Danny Nierenberg. You can get it on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. It, it's going to continue the conversation and you're going to be inspired by what you hear and learn. So check it out, food talk with Danny Nierenberg podcast, wherever you can get it. Well, thank you for joining us on The Doctor's Pharmacy and sharing your insight and wisdom about food and our food system and some of the amazing initiatives and solutions. Uh, People should definitely go to foodtank.com and see more about your work. There are summits that happen regularly. There are events on Capitol Hill you could probably go to because I think anybody can go. Yeah, we hope so. Absolutely. uh, and, And show support. Write your letters to your congressmen and congresswomen, senators. The president, hopefully, he maybe not going to get. <laughs> um, yeah, he could do a lot to change his diet. Maybe that's why his behavior is so strange because he's eating junk food all the time. <laughs> yeah, it must be. <laughs> and how, how you know, um, you've shown us that there is a way forward, that there is hope, that there is a solution to this, yeah. and it and it will take a little time, but I think. We're going to get there. A lot of Um, hope out there. So uh, thank you for listening to Doctor's Pharmacy. And if you love this podcast, please share with your friends and family on social media. Please leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And um, we'll see you next time on the Doctor's Pharmacy.
0: Thank you.